is changing at breathtaking speeds, with trends and fads popping up and passing away at breakneck pace. Against that backdrop of nearly constant upheaval, we welcome you to the Sunday Scotch Society. Over delectable, sumptuous scotches and with the occasional good cigar in hand, we have open, honest, and uninhibited conversation about whatever strikes our fancy. Whether it's the critical issue of the day or a deep dive down the rabbit hole, we take it all seriously while having a good time. Join us for a stiff drink and a great conversation. Welcome, folks, to the uh, Sunday Scotch Society. My name is Quincy Parker, and uh, my host, co-host, I guess, is uh, is one Matthew Kelly. Matthew, uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you and our lovely guest. Indeed, indeed. We'll talk about our lovely guest in, in a moment or so, but first... This is the Sunday Scotch Society, so I want to tell people uh, what we're drinking today. So today we are uh, drinking the Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve. It's a single malt, uh, one of uh, one of my favorite brewers. Uh, the Glenlivet is a Highland Scotch. Uh, like all Highland Scotches, it's it's very smooth. It has the uh, the deep uh, the deep roundness that you expect from that. That, uh, that highland clear spring water. And, uh, well, before I go too much further, I guess I should say, uh, today our conversation is happening on the Nassau Harbor. So uh, we uh, will have the sounds of the marina in the background. And, uh, you know, a nice breeze to, to cool things off if, if Matthew starts to sweat from, uh, <laughs> from this, uh, this beautiful scotch. But anyway, uh, enough talk. Uh, it's called the Caribbean Reserve because uh, portions of the scotch were aged in barrels that used to uh, hold Caribbean rum. So uh, we'll uh, we'll check it out and see uh, see if we can taste any of the uh, the rumminess in uh, in the scotch and. Uh, while we're uh, reaching for our, our glasses, uh, I want to say welcome to our special guest for this conversation. Uh, I guess I'm going to call her uh, an IT uh, guru, but she's also a, a superstar with the side hustle. And today, the side hustle is what we're going to talk about, uh, business development in, uh, in the 242 trying to get things done on an international level. Uh, and, and so uh, welcome to the Sunday Scotch Society, Letitia Bryce. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We're, we're excited to have this conversation. Uh, I'm going to take my first sip of the, uh, the, the Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve. Ooh, even before I slip, it's the, it's, it's a, that smell is, what, what is that? It's it's uh it's like an apple syrup banana it, it, yeah some fruitiness in the in the nose definitely yeah and uh, and uh, and the the tasting notes uh, are right on the money on this one for sure uh, here we go with the, the sip. 
Oh. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> yeah, okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> that is recommendable. Oh my goodness. Okay, okay. So, uh, I'll start with our guest, uh, Leticia. What, what do you think? All right, I definitely taste the tropical notes that it's talking about. It says it has some sweet and tropical notes that is there. Mm-hmm. Um, almost, almost kind of citrusy. Okay. Okay. Almost, and it is smooth. It's light, mm. but it 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 does have a, a few levels of kick <laughs> to it. Okay. 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 A few levels of kick. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> in addition to the the fruity notes, which I assume come off the barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tingle after the tingle yeah just the it's a, it's a light touch tingle that lingers after the swallow I'm not sure how to describe that I'm sure there's something in the language of scotch for it but that's quite pleasant uh, ladies and gentlemen we have just invented our first Sunday Scotch Society-ism. The tingle that lingers. <laughs> yeah. I'm still feeling the effects of the first sip. Excellent. Not, yeah, not yeah. harsh at all. Yeah, that, yeah. That's that is... a nice long finish. And and uh, and I, I get the caramel, I get the toffee, I get the mm-hmm. vanilla, all of the, the typical flavors of a Glenlivet, you know, a nice aged Glenlivet. Uh, but I also get that that hint of citrus that uh, that you're talking about there, Leticia. That's that's that is a as as a, as we would say in the, the house of Tipple Muddle and Grog. Uh, <laughs> my my uh, my blog called the Whiskey Thief. Uh, this is definitely <laughs> this is definitely a tipple worth having. Hmm. So, All right. So to, to move to a tiff, mm-hmm. I I've been refused a glass clink. So we'll see how this conversation goes from here. Oh dear, oh dear. Well, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, Leticia, <laughs> why don't you start us off with an answer to this question? Before I ask the question, a statement. Bahamians are entrepreneurial almost by default. Everybody in their cat seems to have an idea or seven in their head about a business they want to do. If they, quote unquote, had the time, or if they, quote unquote, had the money, or if they, quote unquote, had whatever is preventing them, um, if I could, Here's what I would do. Do you believe that our entrepreneurial spirit is um, is something that is innate to the to the Bahamian culture? Uh, is is it something that's real or is it something that's taught? I guess it's it's a question. Is it nature or nurture? I would say. Definitely, when you think all the way back, it's it just it happened because of necessity. 
So if you just go back to the, I come to the shop mm-hmm. type why, where persons have the selling cup and chip and salty from their house, then it was a way to make some extra income. And so I don't know if that's nature or nurture, but I think it's it's definitely, it was born from necessity. You need, you need that extra stream of income. And, mm-hmm. and I, I would say the majority of Bahamians do have that within them. Um, there, are, there are definitely people I speak to that feel like there's nothing for them that they can do. And I'd love to change their mind on that because I think everybody has within them, whether it's something based on their skill, their experience, their talents, and their expertise that they can use to bring in an extra stream of income. Mm. Uh, that's that's my next question, but I want to I, I want to ask Matthew to weigh in on it as well. Uh, do you na- nature or nurture uh, with regard to the assumed entrepreneurial Bahamian spirit? Nature or nurture, yes. It is nature nurtured. Um, See, this is why. Just too too brainy, right? Go ahead. Keep going. I mean, look, this is part of humanity, right? But I do think that our culture has several elements in it that lend themselves to uh, nurturing by default. Some of that is the side income. Some of that is the fact that you see so many people in their own businesses. You know, they're, they're, there's less of a an expected, you must go through this path and work for someone for the rest of your life than there are in other people's in the, you know, European, European-derived cultures around the world. So just seeing it there makes... It you, it's not it's less suppressed than in other places. I mm. think. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, it, it, I think that there is definitely a uh, an encouragement, almost uh, an as, an assumption that if you if you serious, you got a side hustle. If you if you if you trying to get someplace. Mm-hmm. You have, uh, I remember one time I was in front of the House of Assembly uh, having a conversation with Al Dillette, God rest him. Uh, well, God bless him, excuse me. Sorry, Al. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was having this conversation with Al and, and he was the first person I heard, you know, like seriously use the term multiple streams of income. You know, and he was like, "Man, Quincy, you gotta, you gotta get this multiple streams of income going, man. You can't just have one, one thing happening." And, How long ago was that? Oh, this was a, a good while. Uh, I was still young and skinny, and I am neither young nor skinny anymore. <laughs> so this, this was a this was time. a while ago. But but even there, you know, I mean, it's a it's assumed. Like I say, mm-hmm. if you if you want to be a successful, serious person, and you're not uh, one of these people who's making half a million dollars a year uh, at your main hustle, then chances are you got a little something on the side, uh, and that, and and whether that's true or not, that is certainly the way it seems, mm. and and uh, and and I'm I'm curious about whether. You know, I, I know our, our listeners will 
will definitely be chiming in about whether or not that's actually true, you know, but it is, it is certainly the way it seems to me. But, but now the question has to be, how easy is it to really have a successful side hustle? Uh, you know, I mean, if, if it, if our, if our national inclination is, you got to have a side hustle, how easy do we make it as a nation for people to do that? How, how well do we facilitate the side hustle from a policy environment and from a cultural environment? I leave that open to uh, either of either of you to to chime in on. Well, first, I think before we we have that discussion on how to make it successful, we we should at least talk a little bit about how to even get started with that because um, a lot of people feel like they don't have any choices. The average Bahamian goes to work, and some of them are making minimum wage. Some of them are making just enough money to go back to work for the next payday. It's it's really not covering all the necessities and extras. And and so they would see then there's a need for something more. Now, the first thing you need to do is change your mindset, meaning this is not the way it has to be. As as long as you you start with that mindset, you could get started. You you could you could start to kind of look within yourself to see what it is you can do, look without to see what's needed in the market and and um, make your play. As when it comes to being successful doing that, mm-hmm. we need more of a buy-in from the local community. Um, a lot of persons, depending on which market you go into, which field you're in, you have to educate the Bayman people about the thing that you're offering. They might not realize they need it, they may not feel like it's necessary. They may not feel like it's worth the investment. So one of the next steps to being successful in your business or your side hustle here in the Bahamas is educating the Bahamian people about it. I, I want to I wanna push back on that a little bit. Okay. Um, because there's a, there's this, there's a concept in in the new sort of business development environment that has sprung up uh, over the last 10, 15 years, you know, these business accelerators and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, right? One of, their, uh, one of their sort of standard questions is what problem are you solving, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so it, it, it would seem to me that the, the assumption is your business should solve a problem and i wouldn't imagine that you would have to convince somebody that they have a problem (laughs) actually Uh, you do some people mm -hmm. don't realize they have a problem some people can't even name the problem they know something is wrong they know something it can't still like this and some people don't realize that there's a solution for what's going on with them or whatever problem they have and so still goes back to education if if what you're offering is so unique to the market they don't know Mm -hmm. 
Well, Matthew, you, you work a lot in business development. Do you, what are your thoughts on this? Do you, do you think, well, let me, let me not, let me not uh, constrain your answer. What, what, what do you think? Um, let me, let me approach this by going back to your original question around, uh, do we do a lot to facilitate the side hustle, which may grow into a, uh, you know, quite formidable business? We're going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think in general, we don't have a lot of good policy around, uh, helping, but we don't do a lot to hinder either, which I think is is actually the more beneficial thing. Traditionally, um, you know, before things started to get organized, you just go down to Frederick Street, you put in your paper form, and you operate in as a uh, a sole ownership like right away. Not a lot of regulation, you know. Maybe you have to sign off and say, this is a home-based business, I won't be having any people come over, uh, but, and you're good, you're good to go. It's changing a bit, but there's still not a lot in the way. The obstacles in the marketplace, which to me is what we uh, are talking about now, are again, like people understanding if they have a problem, you communicating what that problem is. I take, I, I take uh, what you're saying about education, but I, I, would, I would frame it more in the realm of communication, right? It's not so much that you are teaching them new stuff most of the time, sometimes, but most of the time it's about communication and particularly in joining the potential customer in the conversation that they're having in their head right so that they can understand what it is that you're saying and you understand what it is that they think so there's a couple of things there without getting too technical about it there's a there's a journey that they go through there's several journeys that they go through but if you look at it just from the cycle of where they're at in buying right they have to first realize that they have a problem then they have to decide on several things including okay what solutions are available then they make their decision and then they choose okay who it is that's going to deliver what they want but putting that to the side the main thing is you never try to sell someone something they need right whether whether we're pushing ideas policies or products it's just gonna be a really tough sell. It's gonna cost you time, energy, money uh, to come to someone who's having a different conversation in their head and say, hey, don't worry about what you're thinking about. This over here is what you need. I'm gonna sell this to you hard. Instead, we have to look at people and, and this is a distinction that I see entrepreneurs get wrong all the time. Not talk to them about the problem as we perceive it, right? We know what the need is. We know what the problem is, the root cause problem is from our experience, but that's not what they are experiencing. I'll, <clears throat> let me give you an example. 
you have a pain, you go to the doctor, you go for the doctor for the pain. The doctor knows it's your liver, it's your kidney, or you're dehydrated, or this or that, right? All you know and all you care about is you have a headache, your side is hurting, um, you're nauseous, right? That's the pain, the problem that the uh, customer, potential customer is experiencing. And so we have to talk to them in those terms first. And then we can relate that back. Well, this is happening because of X, Y, and Z. And so the communication and potentially extra education happens there. Mm -hmm. But you never, you never say, you know, someone comes in, I have a headache, um, eat right. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just too much of a disconnect there, right? You might have to treat symptoms first and then have the longer conversation once they they see that what you're talking about is working, you know, there's, there's a, there are many layers to the thing. But the, the primary thing for anyone who's considering getting into a side hustle is you have to find the things that people are complaining about. If you think about problem, that's what it means, not the problem as you see it. Because if you get in there and, and you tell someone, oh, you need better communication in their business, that's not going to work. Whereas if you come in and you say, oh, I noticed that you're having trouble getting new clients. That's going to be far more effective for you to open a conversation with them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now I'll take a sip. That was a whole paragraph and a half. So, <laughs> you, you know, you deserve a sip after that. Um, but, but Matthew kind of raises an interesting question for me. Uh, th this this is this is uh this is a crazy question to ask because it um it presumes a lot uh for three people sitting on the harbor drinking scotch but that's what we do on the sunday scotch society we presume a lot so uh if there's never been a better time to get into a side hustle than now, mm. which is my premise, what's the best side hustle to get in? Well, first, your premise is only slightly flawed because the best time to get into a side hustle was 10 years ago, no matter what time it was. If it was 1980, then the best time was 1970. <laughs> But I'm sorry, what? Since no, you I can't, agree with that. It, it would have been a while back. Since you can't now. time travel, the best time is always now. Um, but given the current climate... I, no, no, I'm sorry. No, I don't... What, I he, need, what he's saying from what I understand is you should have started about 10 years ago. The what? next best time is now. Don't wait. Okay. Correct? Yes. Okay. okay. Carry on. I don't see how you got that and I did it's an IT thing, maybe? I don't know. Okay. Because yes. right. well, I, I, I surely did not get that, but okay. That not, now that Letitia has explained, explained it, it, okay. it makes perfect sense to me. Please continue, sir. <laughs> I, I shall endeavor not to need assistance. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I'm not going to prescribe anything particular, but I will say that the availability of the internet makes many markets open to you mm -hmm. 
right? And I'm not going to discourage you to have something local, but to discard the fact that we have access to the world would be a serious mistake. Mm -hmm. So anything that you consider, um, even if you reject it, you should be thinking, okay, how does this look online? What are the options globally or more regionally, etc.? Mm -hmm. That's that's that would be a one of the first things that I think about. I'm I'm glad you raised that because I think, and we'll come back to the rest of your list. But Leticia, I think, has a, a great perspective on that very that very point, eh? Mm -hmm. Because uh, your your clientele is an international clientele uh, for your. Well, let's call it your side hustle. I don't know if yes. that's how you would phrase it. So, well, Yes, so a little bit about my background. Right out of high school, I, I started working at a law firm. Right, That's not the career path that I would have chosen, but just things happened. And I stayed there in that field for about seven years. Um, the last firm I worked to was like one of the top three firms back then, McKinney, Bancroft & Hughes, one of the top three firms in the Bahamas. And I realized, okay, this is not going to cut it. I need to, to move up when it comes to my um, salary, right? My, and so I decided to get some technical training, right? I went into the tech field, been in the tech field for a little over two decades. And then I said to myself, and even while I was there, I started a side hustle. As soon as I entered the tech field, I got some experience. My first side hustle was doing computer repairs, simple networking, things of the sort. And I started mm -hmm. to work with persons locally, but a lot of them were international clients. So persons, expats, right? Um, then being near the, over the last four years or so, I decided I want to do my business full-time. And I started to do that. Then the pandemic happened. While the pandemic happened, everyone around the world was quarantined. And so I decided to offer my tech support services remotely. And I was in a number of groups online and I was thinking locally, you know, because persons couldn't go out to the local computer store to get their computers fixed. Maybe this is something, and I, I did a lot of remote repair work, troubleshooting at the company that I was at. And so I said, this is what I'm, I'm gonna offer this. And turns out the first person to click that link and book a tech, um, remote tech support was uh, an entrepreneur in Australia. And I was like, okay. <laughs> As with being successful in business, you're gonna go where the money is. And mm -hmm. so that led to another entrepreneur in England, another in the US and then more from there. And so my, the majority of my clients are from Australia, England and mostly the US. I do have local clients and I'm leaning more into the local market now that we're in person and now that I'm considering other offerings. But I think a lot of times you do have to start internationally, especially to be recognized by your own people to see, okay, this is something of value because Internationally, those people, I think, in a lot of ways, they are ahead of us here in the Bahamas. We are behind in some, in some things. And so they already realize the importance of 
maybe a service that you offer. Okay, and so I started working with entrepreneurs, helping them with their tech, helping them with the accountability, and they already saw the benefits of working with somebody in that capacity and had no problems investing in those services. And so that's where I started. Mm-hmm. I will continue to work with those people, but I'm working now more with Bahamian people because they're starting to see it's worth the investment. Yeah, yeah, that's that phrase, the, the, the it's worth the investment. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with my my friends and and family who are entrepreneurs who look around and who who have had the experience that you've had with clients who are not local who recognize the value of the services on offer and who see what what these people are offering as worth the investment mm-hmm. but the, the 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 local market is is like give me you know give me a discount give your boy a break cut your boy some slack I, I, and the latest the latest uh pushback against that you know you see, you see dasquay all over facebook telling people my price is my price well dasquay welcome to the party brother we've been talking small businesses have been saying to their friends, family, and, and prospective clients, my price is my price mm-hmm. from time. You know, you're not the first one. So so it's a thing, right? This this idea of being worth the investment. But you still have to... I, I'm still... I still want to see a balance between Matthew's point of uh, the client's perspective of the problem is what you have to solve and your perspective that your services are worth the investment they, those two things have to be married mm-hmm. in order for the successful uh, relationship to happen yes yeah for sure um, it's difficult if you're in a local market or any market you're trying to sell to where they don't yet have a a broad understanding of what it's worth. And so that communication and potential education does have to happen there. And you need to ask yourself, okay, is this worth my investment? Is my time and money mm-hmm. going to be paid back enough trying to uh, crack this market or change this market or communicate in a way that is going to show them the value of it or should you just go where the money is easier right and you know it it's going to differ for every individual business but if you are just starting out and you decide oh i'm going to take the hard road For taking the hard road's sake, well, you yeah, know, you ask him don't to, complain yeah. when it, when you realize how hard the hard road is. For sure, for sure. Uh, before we before we continue, uh, I, I I am wondering how you are finding the Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve uh, as our conversation is is happening. Ooh. 
smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, smooth is good, yes. Yeah, one 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 reaches for the vocabulary. <laughs> well, let me let me let me let me do it this way, right? They on their tasting notes uh, say that on the palate you, you get rich caramel toffee notes, followed by flavors of tropical fruits. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, certainly. Uh, I just, you know, I don't want to just be uh, a parrot. <laughs> For sure. For nor sure. just a, a yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but if they get it right, they get but, it right, though. Yeah, but it, I mean, you know what? It's a hint. I, I don't want to oversell. It's not. A, it's not a sweetness, but there's a hint of a of a properly done daiquiri. Mm. Okay. <laughs> just just a hint. Um, I but, get you. I get you. I, mm-hmm. the, the 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 deeper fruit notes away from the sweetness is what comes through for me. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you bite into a mango, uh, preferably chilled and sliced, and you get the 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 sort of deeper aftertaste. That's what's hitting me here. Okay, mm-hmm. I can I can I can definitely agree with that. For me, I'm I'm smelling the fruit and tasting the fruit first. Mm-hmm. So now, left on my tongue is an aftertaste, but I I I really don't see or taste a lot of the toffee it's the fruit yeah the toffee it's, it's is similar to me mm. like um anio mm. okay feel. okay well anio i mean it, it literally means old so it is an aged rum okay and i guess it's that same you're feeling the age okay yeah and it's the toffee is an af and it's not it's an affectation i i doubt you know that it, it what I think they mean is it you get that sense of a subtle sweetness. And for a scotch, it's, it's, you know, a single malt scotch this is this is very sweet. Yeah. You know, it's not mm. in the world of scotches this would be sweet. Uh but that that does not mean that it is objectively sweet and sugary. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now this is it has a rum taste. Mm-hmm. But yeah, exactly. Because you are I, I actually feel like sometimes this can be a gimmick. You know, sometimes when, when you see a scotch that is marketed as aged in rum casts, mm-hmm. uh, it's, you taste it and it, it, you can't really tell. But I believe this, you know, this is, this makes the case very strongly that uh, that aging in rum casks is a thing. It's actually like it's the the opposite of the plantation uh, rums, you know, which are aged in cognac casks in France. France, excuse me. So I feel like this this is definitely this goes to the to to the top of the list. I don't know if it it goes to number one, but it's certainly it's certainly up there. It is, yeah. It- Mm-hmm. In my limited experience, this is like straight, straight top tier right away. Well, good, good, Glenn Livet, I, I salute you. <laughs> uh, not like you care, but there it is. <laughs> yeah, I would drink it again. Excellent. 
and we probably will. <laughs> we probably will. Yeah. So getting back to this the side hustle thing, right? Um, it's it's a it's a question that I've had for a while. What's the difference between a side hustle and a business? Is there is there a difference? Well, <clears throat> I'd be interested to hear Letitia's. Uh... Want me to go first? Uh, no, no, I, I'll, I'll start out, but I, I, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. But to me, right, they are distinct but complementary concepts. And when you start a side hustle, it's at that beginning of a business where you're sort of exploring things, right? And it could become stable. So uh, a side hustle that has matured a bit is a, is a definite business, but my definition of a business is simply a set of repeatable processes that consistently return a profit. So that could be semi to fully automated. It could be small. It could be big. But, you know, that is at its essence is what it is. Now, the side hustle part of it comes in in terms of how it fits into your life. Right. So if you are running it full time even if it's small even if it's the same size that you were running it at it's no longer a side hustle so they're not you know one is bigger one is smaller etc they're just two sets of criteria to define a business Mm -hmm. okay for me when I think of a side hustle it could it could have repeatable processes. For instance, somebody that resells newspapers, right? They buy the paper, stand on the corner, sell the paper, and get mm-hmm. a profit, mm-hmm. right? Um, when I first started in the tech field, I I started building a planter because they saw the type of work I did, and they said, "Well, hey, can you do this for me on the side?" And so that's, I feel like that's where that game came from. You're doing it on the side of your full-time job, mm-hmm. right? There's really no sort of um, business foundation there. So when it comes to a proper business, you're going to be legit. You're going to set it up the right way, according to the government. <laughs> that's one of the things, right? So usually... Usually, usually when you see someone with a side hustle, they're doing it on the side of their main job. They, it's, it's, it's not legitimately set up. You know, there's, there's no business license involved. There's no foundations involved. They, they, they can't tell you what their financials are. So when it's, when it's a business, it's set up in a certain way where it's, it can be recognized the world over as a business because of the certain standards that they have put in place. Right. That that's that's so technical sounding. Um, so my question then is if this if this if this thing is burning in my chest that I will I have this entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I wanna do something. Mm-hmm. I guess my question really when it comes to the difference between the two things is, should I start a business or should I start a side hustle? 
Well, you didn't quite agree with what we said, so you need to tell us what your definition is of oh, both no, of those. No, no, no. I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not disputing what. What. I'm not disputing your definitions. I'm saying that I think they are, in particular, the definition of a business is is particularly technical. Uh, but that's Matthew. I mean, that's who he is. But nonetheless, taking your definitions as given, mm-hmm. the question stands: Should I start a side hustle, or should I start a business? And what's what's the criteria in your minds for either one? Okay, so <clears throat> let me just flesh out the term business in the way that you're using it. I would say full time. Full-time business versus side hustle, mm. right? If you're going to start anything, one would hope that you want it to be uh, sustainable, if not successful, in whatever criteria that you define. So, it better be a business within a, some short period of time. Um, but then that's going to be whether I start a full-time thing or a side hustle. It's going to come down to circumstance. You know, you can't... Uh, it's just people. You could have, you could have continued. Yeah, no, we the, the background sounds is different from somebody having a, another conversation. So... Yeah, it, it totally depends on your circumstance, your level of quote-unquote passion for the thing, but definitely the, the level of resources that you have, what are the options available, you know. Unless you're very young, you don't want to just jump into something mm-hmm. and hope to high hell it all works out, right? That That's a luxury... Uh, that I hope young people take advantage of, but especially if you have responsibilities, that's, that would be irresponsible. So, have at least six months set aside, I would say. That's a definite criteria that, that, that you should meet if you're gonna do a full-time business versus a side hustle. Um, if you do a side hustle and you get up to three quarters to full replacement salary in place plus you have uh, a backup six months then I would say you know yeah it's time it's time to make the leap now everyone's appetite for risk is going to be different and sometimes you know doing it in the quote-unquote non-proper way is the best option available mm-hmm. um, but don't just jump into something because you have supposed passion. Passion fades. If you feel you have a calling, I think that's a separate thing, mm-hmm. right? That that means that you are gonna stick it out, regardless. Right. But but, but passion ebbs and flows. Don't rely on that. Yeah. I would say um, start off with a side hustle, especially when you are testing things out to see if it's if this idea is viable if you, if you can get buy-in and in this current economy you definitely don't want to get rid of your main source of income 
just yet. Um, and that, of course, that, that advice of having, you know, six months of exp um, savings set aside to pay expenses while you test out your business is very, is very good advice. But start off with the side hustle first. See how it goes. See if you need to pivot. See if it's going to support you before you move full time into it. There's gonna be there's gonna come a time when you will have to move full time to give it all of your effort mm -hmm. and time. But it doesn't necessarily have to happen right away. What about uh, Matthew? We had a conversation with somebody uh, one Wednesday night, not long past, who uh, was making what, what, what did she say? Four times her mm. salary. It was it was only twice. <laughs> it was only twice her salary at a day job. She had a a retail side gig. Yeah, that and was where she was making double her salary. No. It was four times. No, 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 no. no, no. She it was, was. It was. She was able to turn over. It was double, but right. she was making a four to one yeah, on her okay. investment. I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, in those circumstances, one has to step back and and just ask themselves, okay, what is the purpose for doing this thing? Is this just a a hobby? Be it a side hustle. Um, or am I, is there some issue in particular that's keeping me back? And therefore, what would be the criteria that would make me move forward on it? So um, in that case, you know, I challenge the person to step back and, and decide, okay, when would I go full time into this? Since I'm making <laughs> four acts on my investments and... And consistently getting twice the salary that I'm bringing in. Like, what would it look like if I put 40, 60 hours into this a week, right? What is holding me back there? Or am I just happy with it as, as, a, as a side thing? <laughs> Sounds to me like she is definitely someone who is averse to risk-taking. Mm -hmm. And she, she wants that safety net. And is there anything wrong with that? I mean, not at all. I mean, it, it, Was she complaining about running, um, doing both? A little. Um, she was at first reluctant even to identify as an entrepreneur, even though this is an on-off but consistently profitable, profitable thing for her. For I think it was like fifteen years. That's what she said. Which? You know, not a circumstance that you would find a lot of people who identify themselves as entrepreneurs in, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it was it, it blew my mind. But then, you know, sounds, thinking of, thinking about what you're saying sounds like a mindset issue, <laughs> right? But 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 not necessarily a bad one, but just an an ill-defined mindset issue. Because, like, do you want to do this thing or not? And if so, either way, what are the criteria that determine that for you? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what is a lack of clarity from my point of view? And I don't think that does her any justice because 
she hasn't made a decision, so it's so it's this nebulous it thing floating go. in her mind as right. to what she's gonna do. But 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 vis vis your statement, Letitia, that she's not taking it as far as it can go. She doesn't seem to care. <laughs> For fifteen years, she's been content to just double her money uh, while she quadruples her investment, you know, mm-hmm. potential, uh, and and think about. What what happened if? Yeah, she and values I, that but, but, safety. She but, values safety over everything else. Right, but she hasn't defined like what safety means to her because the the reason I would I wouldn't let it drop is because she said she does want to grow it. She but if you're having you know, the by success her, by her action or inaction, she's she is proving that safety right, but, is is most important to her. I, because I, she's staying where she is. Right. I I may may have made a mistake in bringing her up because I I don't want to I don't want to make the rest of the show about her since right. she's not here to. For sure, but I think but, this is instructive for people, right? Yeah, yeah. That that you you have to at some point define certain boundaries and goals, and if you don't do that, then you won't know when to start, when to take the next step, or when to cut your losses. Because that's a super important thing too. Quitting is important, right? You might Mm -hmm. go through five, six more things before you find out A, that you uh, have found something that you really want to do or that works, or that this just isn't for you. Because although we have a strong entrepreneurial spirit, culturally, not everyone is cut out for it or wants to so you know like one way or the next at some point you have to sit down and get that clarity you 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 raise a a point that sort of takes us on a tangent which i suspect will probably be the last tangent we go on uh for for this show um quitting is important you say i i want to I want to talk uh, about how important it is to get out once you've failed, <laughs> right? Uh, acknowledge your failure quickly, and in in the in the way that casinos work, uh, they call it loss leading, right? So what it is is you lose five dollars. You believe that you could win that $5 back. So you spend a dollar trying to get that $5 back. Then you spend another dollar and another dollar. And before you know it, trying to win back your $5 that you lost, you've now spent $50. Still trying to, to, to chase that first $5 that you lost. That is, that's the psychology of how casinos make their money. It's called loss leading, I believe. And and I believe that to an extent we treat business that way in that we we see the failing but we keep we keep digging because we believe okay if I just tweak this or if I just keep going or if I whatever if I just don't stop it'll work and and there's a there's a fine line here because sometimes that's right 
sometimes you do just need to keep going. But, but in my view, more often than not, you're failing and you are perpetuating this failure rather than cutting off that, that poor investment and pouring your energy into something that might succeed. I see, I see you had some issues, Matthew. No, uh, sometimes this is called the dip, right? So it's going to take a while. All right, Seth Godin. <laughs> yeah, it's totally a Seth Godin thing. Sometimes it's going to take a while for you to, to actually hit the traction that you need, right? But understanding that that is a reality, you have to still define your tolerance. Because even if it's true that this is just the dip versus this is never going to work, right? Even if you know the difference, which is extremely difficult when you're in the trenches. For sure. Right? For sure. For sure. It doesn't mean that you have the capacity to get over, get through the dip. And so what Godin actually recommends is defining where you cut your losses up front before you start. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the middle of it, then you maybe put yourself in the mindset of when you began and where you would have cut your losses. That's one way to deal with it, right? The other one is though, how do you know why it's not working? And if you, if you can't tell why, if you don't have a very strong case that you could go to a business savvy person, be it a friend or a consultant and say, this is what I'm doing. This is why it's not working and get agreement on that. Right. If you don't know why it's not working, that is time to cut your losses. Even if it's true that you are in the dip, you know that technically if you kept going, um, that it would all work out, right? If you don't know why it's not working now, then you don't know where you are in the dip. And therefore it is time to get out. You're flying blind with no instruments at night with cloud cover. Don't, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eject. Yeah. Mayday, set mayday, up, mayday. Set off the transponder. Yeah. And, and learn, listen, learn to love learning because the, the way you need to frame it is that not as a complete failure, right? A complete failure is you crashed and burned and your family is out on the street because you made a bet with your mortgage, etc. Hopefully you didn't put yourself in that position. But if you came out and you learned something, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Learn to be fine with that, right? And not feel like a failure. It's just, that didn't work out. What did I learn from it? Mm-hmm. And be able to move on. But don't keep digging. I would say, yeah. failure is data, right? So if you're going to be successful, you can't be fair. You can't, you can't be afraid to fail. You can't be afraid of failure. You can't let it stop you from going after whatever the dream is if you see it's not working something is not working it doesn't necessarily mean you need to give up the dream altogether it just it might mean that you need to pivot a bit 
you might need to try something different but you, you don't want to give up too soon yeah you gotta I mean you, you take your blows for a while but I think I think you know it's important to recognize uh, when it ain't working I, I think that's and, and mm -hmm. once you recognize that it's not working then you have some homework to do right. you gotta figure out why yeah and, and, then, and don't just adjust don't think that you are the be all end all of the judgment of that like solicit some some help from a mentor from people that you can trust with services like that you know mm -hmm. you know from friends who have succeeded. know what they're talking about yeah yeah oh listen don't talk to a failure for advice on how to succeed <laughs> <laughs> right that, that we do that a lot but in any event uh that's gonna that's gonna wrap up our time together today Letitia listen thank you uh I I raise my glass of Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve Scotch uh to you uh I thank you for your candor and your brilliance and uh and for joining us on the Sunday Scotch Society thank you for having me mm. Matthew uh good time as usual thank you I uh I enjoyed this conversation and this whiskey. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, I'm going to give you the last word on this uh, as the guest, Letitia. Uh, sum up the Glenlivet uh, Caribbean Reserve whiskey experience uh, that you had here on the Sunday Scotch Social Society. <laughs> Say social. <laughs> I, would, I would recommend it to anyone, you know, most Bahamians sweet mode <laughs> most famous is sweet mode and and we do love the tropical flavor just because of you know where we live and so i would recommend it for that for just for that but it's it's also mellow and i'm feeling mellow right now and so i it goes down smooth and it's still it's feeling smooth right now so Recommended. That's going to do it for us on the Sunday Scotch Society. Thank you for uh, joining us for a stiff drink and a good talk. We'll see you later.